right. Well, we are in uh, part three of uh, our series, Fight the Good Fight. We kicked this off really on our first week back uh, from being on a three-month break. And uh, kind of the premise of this series is really that uh, in a world that is seemingly fighting over everything, uh, it, there's a lot of fighting going on that isn't really about uh, eternal things. So we thought if we're going to you know, spend all this energy fighting, maybe we fight for things that really, really matter. Like fight for our kids, fight for community. We, we talked last week about fighting for the hearts and minds of our children. And, uh, and I'll say as, um, as a pastor for the last 14 years, uh, that was in at least top 10, maybe top 5 services that we've had where it just was a Holy Spirit moment uh, in having the kids in the room, laying hands on them, praying for them, blessing them. And uh, it was powerful, wasn't it? And so we just want, <clears throat> we want to bring more uh, ways in which we can equip you in some of these things and in, in practice and practicality as well. And, uh, and so this week we're going to be talking about fighting for our marriage. And, and I recognize that, um, you know, for... For some, when I talk about this, it's going to, to touch on maybe a nerve a little bit. And, and I'm just going to ask for some grace this morning as we uh, process through this a little bit. I'm going I'm to leave you with some practical help and some practical tools to it. But before we jump in, let's just take a look at our theme verse, which is 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it says, Timothy, you are God's man, so run from all of these errors. Instead, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to chase after true holiness, justice, faithfulness, love, hope, and tender humility. He says, so fight with faith for the winner's prize. Lay your hands upon eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession before the multitude of witnesses. So last week we talked about kids, the week before that we talked about community, and today we're going to talk about marriage. And uh, Kelly and I are uh, continually working on our marriage. I don't know that you ever get to a stage in your marriage uh, that you have somehow arrived. Uh, I think, I, I think uh, mom, dad, you guys have been married for 50, what, three, four, 54 years uh, do you arrive ever? Uh, 53 and no. Okay, 53 <laughs> and no. You, you don't. You don't ever really arrive. You, we should constantly be, be cultivating our relationship with our spouse. And, uh, and so recently I was listening to a message from Craig Rochelle. Uh, he's a famous pastor and uh, and he had three really good points that I couldn't, like, just tweak the words on and make it my own, like most pastors do. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm just using them. I'm just, uh, full disclosure, using his three points today and giving him the credit. But uh, super helpful for me, and I hope that it will be helpful for you as well. As we talk about this, I recognize that there are some in the room who are not married, and, and I just, my heart and my prayer for you is that this will be something that uh, is foundational in looking forward to maybe a future uh, marriage in your life for those who uh, may decide that they're never going to be married. Um, 
my encouragement in this is that this what I'm going to share today is applicable uh, in relationships, in how you treat people, how you respond to people just in relationships in general. But certainly, uh, my prayer is for marriages that, um, that might be struggling a little bit today. And, and my hope is that today's message will, will bring some, some healing and uh, reconciliation. The reason why I chose this topic um, in particular is because our, in our culture today, the statistics are not getting better. In fact, uh, marriage in America right now is on the decline. People just have decided they're not going to get married. Uh, younger generations are just like, I don't know, my, I, saw the, I saw what it did to my parents. I'm, I, you know, we'll just have live-ins and, and do this and, and have roommates and all that. And, and so the ones that are getting married, you would think were, are like committed to the sanctity of marriage. And they're, they're committed to this idea of, of one person. But the statistics of, of divorce are continuing to increase. And now 40 to 50% of the ones that are getting married, so there's a lot that aren't even getting married and just kind of living their life, but the ones that are getting married, 40 to 50% are ending up in divorce. That's half. That's half of the marriages are getting divorced. We, we, we give these vows and we say things like, in sickness and in health, you know, and then your first experience with the man flu, and you're like, I don't know if that vow was, was, was what I thought it was going to be. You know, I didn't realize that he was that big of a baby. There's a, there, uh, there's a crisis. When, when you have these kinds of numbers, it, it's a crisis. And, and when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to the idea of death, do us part, until death do us part, it's almost as though we view it as an option and not a timeline. There's a growing statistic that, statistic that counselors and psychologists are watching and are very concerned about, and it is that that 20% of married couples in America are in a sexless marriage. Meaning that if it's been longer than six months, they consider that to be a sexless marriage. And the reason being attributed to this is because of busyness of life, busyness of work, uh, the activities of our children, the, all of the different extracurricular activities and all of these things, uh, as well as abuse from the past that's never been properly healed. The growing access to pornography is also attributed to this. And it's not just the sex that's missing in the marriage, it is the intimacy that's missing. It's the closeness. People who live in sexless marriages report feeling frustrated, unloved, undesirable, unattractive, and the worst of all, lonely. And did you know that you're more likely to die of loneliness than you are to die of obesity or excessive alcohol abuse? I want to begin by reading Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I know that this topic today is going to strike a nerve with many in this room, for those of you who are watching online. And I know this because the statistics don't lie. That statistically, all of the things that I just talked about that are happening in our culture and in our country are also happening in the church. And so I recognize that this strikes a nerve. And so because of that, I don't ever really, in the middle of my message, stop and pray, but I just want us to pray and be open to what God wants to do in our relationships. Lord, my prayer for everyone here, for those who are watching online, is we talk about a subject that is so sensitive so difficult. I pray that there would be healing. I pray for wholeness in marriages and relationships. As we begin to uncover some of the dynamics of our relationships, can we just be reminded this morning, Father, that you are the great restorer, that you make all things new, that there is no marriage that by your grace is too far gone. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit we will experience healing and hope for hurting marriages and that you would bring life today in Jesus' name. Well, how many of you have ever made a fool out of yourself for love? I mean, just raise a hand. like you... I've never done it. Uh, I just wanted to see how many fools there were in the room. But no, I have. I've made a fool out of myself. Um, When uh, I was in college, I worked at uh, one of the most amazing retail uh, chains that exists, uh, that of Sunglass Hut. And I was changing lives, and it just one, well, I was changing eyes, one pair of glasses at a time. And just down the store, it was, it was really the most boring job that I've ever had, and uh, except for past, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, it's, a, it's, it's the most boring job I've ever had, because you're in a mall, and, and you're just kind of there selling sunglasses, and they're, you know, you're selling sunglasses that are over $100 a piece, and and like two people come into your store, but I can sell sunglasses, and I always reach my quota. So down the way uh, in the mall was the Hallmark gift shop, and Kelly and I, uh, we were, I think we were friends initially, I mean, we were friends initially. Um, I felt like we were dating before she felt like we were dating. (laughs) I, I... we stayed home one Christmas break and, uh, or stayed on campus one Christmas break and it, and it was just the two of us. And, and so I said, you want to go to a movie? And so she said, yes. And we went to a movie. I paid for the movie. I paid for the food. I think that's a date. <laughs> she thought you're the only one on campus. I got nothing else to do. Our relationship started on complete transparency and honesty, and 
And I thought we were dating. She thought we were friends. I was definitely in the friend zone to the point at which I finally said, I, I want to be serious about this. And, and she said, yeah, I really like just being your friend. <laughs> and uh, a week later, uh, that shifted because I stopped being her friend. <laughs> yeah, it was really rude and mean, um, but it worked. If you ever need marriage advice or dating advice, better yet, come see me. So we started this relationship, and and I would go down to Hallmark uh, on my break, and I would always pick out a, a card that was a blank card, but it had some sort of cute thing on the outside, like some black and white photo with a girl holding an umbrella that was red, you know, it was like pop of color or whatever. And I would I would just sit in my in my sunglass hut. And I would just write. I would write to her. Just these, I would just kind of pour out my heart to her. And, and she, I, I assume you still have those cards today. Uh, I'd be really disappointed if you don't. But so I, w- I would write them and I would take them to her after I would get off work. And, and there was just this such um, intentional pursuit of of Kelly, that that there was just this romance and this romantic pursuit of her, and and interestingly, what happens is is we do these things at the beginning, right? At the very beginning, we we, we go to Hallmark, we get the cards, we pour out our heart, we give them to them, and then someday, one day, years later, we wonder where did the romance go. Where's the intimacy? Where's the passion? Where's, where's the fire in our relationship? Where did the romance go? Well, chances are that somewhere along the way, we stopped pursuing one another. That there was a time where you pursue, and somewhere along the way, we just get relationally lazy. Is there anywhere in your life where you can be lazy and see improvement? Well, the answer is no. I mean, think about your physical body. If, if you don't take care of your body, if you don't work out uh, and you eat the four food groups of Taco Bell, McDonald's, Mexican food, and Chipotle, you, you, actually, you might lose weight with that uh, <laughs> now that I think about it. But no, it's, you're not going to see improvement in your health if you uh, look at your business, if you don't crunch the numbers, if you, if you don't take care of the culture in your business, then it's going to uh, not improve, it's going to get worse. If in your yard, right, where if, you're, if you don't water your grass, if you don't weed your yard, uh, it's not going to get better, it's only going to get worse, and then your neighbor, you're not going to get yard of the month, and your neighbors are going to start talking behind your back about you, and but interestingly, you know what's funny is that oftentimes you will look at someone else's marital yard and their grass looks greener. It looks well taken care of. And I would just say to you this morning, if the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's probably time to water your own yard. There might be some of us here this morning, or maybe some of you that are watching online, that word is for you. 
It's time to water your own yard. Instead, what happens is we hear comments like, well, it's too late. We just don't love each other anymore. And I once heard that to get divorced because you ran out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. If your marriage is running out of love, then refill your love tank. Refill it. Now go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That word united there, we often, when we read this passage of Scripture, we hear the word united, and we think united like a one-time event, that, that they become one flesh. It's, but, but in the Hebrew, the Hebrew language is, is never just singular. It's always like there's multiple meanings in the translation, and it's almost like this story form in the translation. And, and so when we look at that word united, the Hebrew word for it is debak, D-A-B-A-Q, debak. And it means, when translated, to cling or adhere. And that's what we often think of when we hear that word united. But it also means to catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection or devotion. Let me show you two different ways in which it's translated in Scripture. Psalm 63, 8 in the Living Bible Translation I follow close behind you. Judges chapter 20, verse 45 in the King James Version, they pursued hard after them. So the question for us this morning is, why is it that you had something so special that you would take the time to write cards every single day and give them to your loved one or send them flowers or do whatever your version of foolishness is? Why is it that you had something so special, something so willing to work hard for, and why don't you have that something special today? And maybe it's because we've gotten lazy. Maybe it's that we've taken each other for granted and stopped pursuing the one that God gave us. One of the greatest stories of pursuit is in the Old Testament. You have a guy named Jacob, right? And Jacob uh, falls in love with this girl named Rachel. And, uh, and so he goes to her father, Laban, and says to him, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And he says, well, you're going to have to work for me for seven years. So Jacob takes another look at Rachel and he says, okay, I, th I, th I think that's worth it. And so he works for seven years. And Scripture tells us that, uh, that time flew, that it was almost as if it was just one day. And so the end of seven years comes, and he comes back to Laban, to Rachel's father, and says, okay, I'm ready to marry Rachel. Well, see, what Jacob didn't realize is that Rachel had an older sister, Leah, or Leah, and it says, there's one Bible verse that says that Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Leah had weak eyes. <laughs> she had weak eyes. I'm not sure what weak eyes are, but I'm pretty sure it's not a lovely figure and beautiful. You guys should read your Bible more. There's actually some really funny stuff in there. In the Hebrew, what that translates, that verse translate is Rachel was hot and Leah had a great personality. <laughs> so 
Laban tells Jacob, in our culture, you actually have to marry the older daughter. Jacob's like, um, all right, this is not what I just worked seven years for. I was working for this, not weak eyes. <laughs> and, and so he says, I, I thought the agreement was to marry Rachel. And so the father says to Jacob, he says, okay, I will let you marry Rachel, but you are going to have to work for me for another seven years. And so Jacob takes another look at Rachel and says, okay. Now, growing up, I always thought that he had to wait to marry her after he worked another seven years. But actually, uh, he, what happened was he continued to work for Rachel for seven years after she was already his. That's an interesting detail, isn't it? See, a lot of us are willing to do our own version of writing cards, but then we stop pursuing when they're ours. In pursuit, to follow close, to bring our best, that never ends. Everyone wants something good. No one wakes up one morning and says, my goal is to be married for five years and then get an ugly divorce. Nobody wakes up and says, my goal today is to betray her trust or to get addicted to porn or to end my, or, or, or to, uh, end my day in a huge fight over our finances and our money. Nobody, nobody wakes up one day and says that. We have good intentions. We, we go into our relationships and our marriage with these great intentions, but oftentimes those great intentions are not converted into great actions. And so let's get practical this morning. I'll give you Craig, Pastor Craig Grishel's three points with some of my thoughts on them. The first is this. When you think something good about your spouse, or about anyone for that matter, when you think something good, say it. Say it. Why would you ever think something good about someone and then rob them and withhold that from them unless, of course, you're just trying to get back at them? When you think something good, say it. Set it free. Let it come out of your mouth. Spit it if you have to, like I do every Sunday morning. Text it in a text to her or him. Write it down in a card that you get at Hallmark while you're working at Sunglass Hut. Communicate it. Hebrews 3 says this in verse 13. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. If it's called today, encourage someone. It goes on to say that your heart is not, uh, so that your heart is not deceived by sin's deceitfulness. It's an interesting correlation there that if we are people who, when we think something good and we say it, it protects our heart and guards our heart from sinfulness. Generally speaking, though, we give and receive love in different ways. There's a great resource called the Five Love Languages. Many of you have probably heard of it, and I won't bore you with all the details of it. But just know that oftentimes we, we give and receive love very differently uh, in the five love languages, we often give the love language that we want to receive. Men and women are different. 
and, and how we express our love to one another is different. And granted, I don't want to say that this is an absolute. I'm not trying to, to put anybody in a box necessarily. But, but the truth is, is, generally speaking, how we express our love is very different. And so I just want to kind of break that down a little bit and give kind of two perspectives that when you think something good about the other person, man, I would say to you, pursue her with words of affection. Pursue her with words of affection. And I'm not talking about, uh, I'm I'm talking about non-sexual affection. And some of you are thinking, what's non-sexual affection? (laughs) Some of you can't even comprehend <laughs> non-sexual affection. Well, non-sexual affection is affection that's non-sexual. <laughs> it's, a, it's affection that, that doesn't have an expectation of something. Guys, to be honest, we can make everything sexual. We can. Like, don't even lie to me. Like, your wife says, hey, would you help out by unloading the dishwasher? And you're like, I'll unload your dishwasher. <laughs> can, can you make sure that the, the tires get rotated on the car? I'll rotate your tires. Like, everything. We won't... I'm just saying, maybe, maybe your wife deserves some affection without that. The challenge, though, is our wives can be unpredictable. In fact, the only constant about our wives that's consistent in, in, is that they are unpredictable. It's a gamble, isn't it? I mean, I can be walking through the kitchen, my wife's making a meal for us, and just, you know, just a little tap. <laughs> and, and I told first service, she was like, I'm not going to church today. <laughs> and I said, we go to church as a family, Kelly. <laughs> I'm the spiritual leader of this home. So I can walk through the kitchen, and I can just a little tap, and, you know, in her mind, it's flirty, it, you know, it's funny. She'd turn around and give me a little kiss. And, and then the next day, same time of day, same temperature, same circumstances, just a little tap, same thing. It's, now I'm a pervert. I'm like, <laughs> what's the matter with you? You only think of one thing. It's like, you're, it's unpredictable and it's a gamble, but it's worth it. The gamble, isn't it? (laughs) Here's something that we can work on, men, is when we say, actually, this is both sides. When we say, I love you, what what would it look like if we added the word because? I love you because... You're so gracious with our kids, and you homeschool our kids, and I, I, no, not for me, but for you, you do it, and you're so loving and gracious for our kids. Like, you, you find the because, 
It's too easy. We throw that, those words, I love you, around so flippantly and easy on our way out the door. But to pause for a moment and give words of affection is different. Ladies, pursue him with words of affirmation. Guys are wired a little bit differently. And the truth is, is most men live their life presenting as though they are confident and that they have everything under control. And the reality is, with pressures at work and providing for our family and being a good father and being a good husband, there's a lot of unsaid insecurity and a lack of vulnerability that's there. And as a wife, one of the greatest things that you can do is whisper words of affirmation to him. Tell him how great he's doing. One of the primary things that I hear as a pastor is the phrase that my husband isn't the spiritual leader that I want him to be. And can I just tell you that, ladies, that your husband's probably not going to be leading a Bethmore Bible study with your family. I mean, I'm not saying he won't, and I'm not saying that there's not moments, but I think we have this expectation at times where our husbands are going to be this theologian. And the truth is, is just be grateful for those little spiritual moments that do happen. We want him to be the, if you want him to be the spiritual leader, affirm him when there's anything remotely spiritual taking place. Right? You say, I want my husband to, to just be a prayer, to pray more, or, or to pray at all. And then he prays over the kids, or he, he prays at dinner. I'm just telling you, if you whisper in his ear, and, and even if the prayer was horrible, right? Thank God for this food, and it was great. Yet, he whisper into his ear and say, honey, I've never felt more close to God than when you prayed that prayer. <laughs> I... I I've never felt more close to you than when you prayed that prayer. I promise he'll start praying again and maybe even in tongues. Like, he will pray. <laughs> Affirmation. There's not, a, there's not a Sunday that goes by that I step off of this platform in between services. And this is my vulnerability with you. The truth is, is, I care very little about what you think of my message. Uh, I, I want you to appreciate it. I want it to be impactful. I know that sounds really harsh. That sounded harsher than it probably needed to sound. But, but what I really care about is how she felt about the message. Because the one who knows me the most, that's the one I want to know whether or not I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. She's the one that's going to know whether or not she's going to tell me that was a little harsh. You shouldn't have told them that you didn't like, you didn't care about them. I do care about you. I just don't care what you think. Um, I care about you as people. No, I, I genuinely care what she thinks. And so I'll step off the platform. I'm like, was that okay? And she'll say, no, stop telling them you don't care about them. But most of the time, she'll say yes. Man, she wants to know, do you, do you love me today? And ladies, he wants to know, do you believe in me today? When you think 
Uh, so when you think something good, say it. Number two, when you think something special, do it. James was clear about this in James chapter 4, verse 17. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, but then doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. So I could just kind of, you know, sum that up by saying, stop sinning and do what is a blessing to your spouse. When you're thinking about coming home from work early to spend time and have some quality time with your spouse, do it. When, when she wants you to cook with her, do it. When he wants you to ride in the golf cart with him, do it. When she wants you to watch the show that you can't stand, you make fun of all the time, but she wants you to do it, do it. Do it. It might mean and I know what many of you are thinking right now, it might mean prioritizing intimacy in your marriage. It might mean that in the midst of the busyness of life and the craziness of life, you actually have to schedule that in your life. For some, if you fall into the category of the 20% who intimacy is such a struggle in your marriage, I want to give you some practical resources. So if you have a pen and paper, you can write these down. Uh, if, if you are terrified to write them down next to your spouse, uh, you can go back and watch this later. But the first is by uh, a guy named Dr. Doug Weiss. He's with Heart to Heart Counseling, and he helps with past abuse he helps with uh, both sexual, verbal, spiritual abuse. He, he handles all of that. He has a book called uh, Intimacy Anorexia. And it's a, it's, the whole book is about the inability, the inability to be intimate. And I'm not talking sexual. I'm talking about the closeness to be intimate with your partner, with your spouse. He addresses that. He's got a ton of resources in this area. He also has some stuff we talked about uh, guarding our, our children. Uh, for those of you, and I addressed this last week, who are struggling with maybe a child who uh, is not walking with the Lord, he has uh, uh, some stuff dealing with being the parent of a prodigal child and how to navigate that. And so it's just really, really good stuff. I will tell you that Dr. Weiss's stuff is not cheap. Not just the curriculum and stuff, but like if, you were, if you're really struggling in this area and you're fighting for your marriage and you want to get the help that you need, listen, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to be able to help you with this. Most of the time what we're talking about when we're dealing with sex and intimacy and abuse, that is well beyond the scope of my ability to help. But I'm also telling you that if this is an area that needs help in your marriage, as expensive as it may be to go and do an intensive or uh, to go and do counseling uh, with Dr. Weiss, it is cheaper than a divorce. We spend all kinds of money on all different things in this world, and sometimes the place that we need to spend our money the most is in fighting for our marriage. The next resource is from Dr. Kevin Lehman. 
uh, on November 7th. I mentioned this last week. On November 7th, we're going to have Dr. Lehman here in both services, uh, as well as Sunday evening. We're going to have an available time with him. Uh, he's going to speak for about 40 minutes, and then he's going to do a Q&A uh, with you about your parenting, about your marriage. I mean, we're going to have child care so we can keep the kids out of here. But one of the books that he wrote is uh, called Sheet Music. And is a great resource when it comes to sexual intimacy in, in the marriage. Uh, and uh, I just, I'll say it like this. If you get the book on audio... You're going to blush, first of all. Uh, second of all, make sure that you don't have your phone on autoplay when it connects to your car and you got the kids in the car, okay? Don't do that. Uh, it's very graphic, very specific, and very helpful. Very helpful. All right. Number three, when you want something different, be it. If you think something good, say it, right? If you think something good, do it. But if you want something different, be it. I work with couples at times in my office who, when they sit there, it's often because it's progressed to a point at which it's, they're really struggling to communicate. And typically what happens is, there's all of a sudden fingers being pointed that if this person would just be different, if, if they would just be romantic, if they would just be more sensitive, if they would just be, uh, you know, less mean, if, and, and it's all this stuff, if they would just do, if they would just do, if they would just do, and, and I would just say, stop it. And ask God, what does he want to do in your heart? What's he want to change in you? Because chances are, if you find yourself saying, if they would just be like this, if they would just be the spiritual leader in the home, then ask God, what do you want to do in my life? Because we have to be willing to let God work on them and allow God to work on us. And we don't get to tell God what he needs to work on them with. I, I've heard people in other circumstances pray over their spouse, um, you know, God, give her the strength to, to, to keep the house clean. Uh, give her the strength, you know, to initiate intimacy with me. You know, we, we don't, that's not how this works. We say, God, what do you want to do in my life? Be the change that you want to see in your life. Every time I find myself, and it's not often, to be honest with you, anymore, every time I find myself wishing Kelly was maybe something different, maybe there's some things that I realize that I need to be different in. See, it's easy for me to stand here and kind of give all of this instruction, but the reality is, is as we navigate our marriage, as we navigate parenting our children, we're not always the greatest at it. I want to I just pause for a second and just kind of speak to the men in the room. I, 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 as your pastor, if you're here, if you're visiting with us, I may not be your pastor yet, but and maybe after today, not at all. But, um, but I feel like I do have the right to speak to the men in the room because I am one. And 
I just want to encourage you as men, and I, I w- I'm really, I want to be careful in how I say this because I don't like when people guilt trip me. You could ask my family, like if, it, it, to me, there's a manipulation there. I just, I'm not a fan of it. And I don't think anybody really is, but, but I'm super sensitive to it. And, and anytime we're hearing a message like this, there's in, initially kind of this wave of guilt or shame or feeling as though I've failed. And, and, and the last thing I would want to do is heap any more of that onto you. And so I, I really, I hope you hear my heart that I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. But I do want to address the men in the room. And I, I just want to say, men, get off your butt and start leading your family. Don't be lazy. It, lead your family. Parent your children. I don't know if I can say butt in the room, but I, based upon your reaction, I don't think I can. Stop being lazy and lead your family. And I'm not saying that you now all of a sudden have to lead some Bible study in your home. It could look like waking your family up on a Sunday morning and saying, we're going to church today. We're going to church. Because that's what we do as a family. And you know that when you get your kids to church, there's going to be life and there's going to be health. And you know that's going to be the case for you. It's not going to hurt your family. It's going to help them. It could mean like, hey, you know what? We need to be a part of a small group. We need to be in a life group. We need to go to EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationship, because our relationship is a mess. Men, it's up to us to lead in that. Your wives are desperate for you to do that, 100%. We have this unique privilege and opportunity of leading our homes And if we continually abdicate that role, we will see our children suffer, we will see our marriage suffer, and ultimately we will suffer. I know that's harsh. It's about as harsh as I get. I don't really preach hellfire and brimstone, but I say but on a Sunday morning. (laughs) You need people in your life. Be a leader in that. Be a leader that, that says, come on, we're, we're going to be in community with some other people. We need friends in our life who are going the same direction we're going to to encourage us. Here's what I can promise you, is that if your marriage is struggling at this point, like right now in this stage of the game, there was some time where you had something special There was some reason that you went out and bought a ring. There was some reason that that you planned the wedding, you went through all of the stress and the chaos of putting a wedding on and buying a dress, and there was a reason you said yes to that person. There was something special at some point in your relationship. And I promise you, There was something that you were doing. If you're struggling right now, there was something that you were doing then that you aren't doing now. If you think something, if you think something good, tell them. If you think something special, do it. If you want something to be different, be it. I'll end with this. If you've 
had something special before and you want it again. To get what you once had, you must do what you once did. You say, I love you because. You do it. You get involved. You're a part of it. You lead in your home. Revelation 2.5 says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do, things, uh, do the things you did at first. A little bit of a stretch using Revelation in a marriage message, but the, the picture of thinking about how far things have progressed in your relationship, how far you've fallen, repent and start doing the things you did at first. Because with the grace of God, there is no marriage that is too far gone. I believe that 100%. Remember what you had, repent, and do the things you did at first. For me, I've got to buy some cards. Let's pray.